Amen. Well, guys, would you grab a Bible and make your way into the book of Acts? We are going to be in chapter 12 this evening. Acts chapter 12. Wednesday nights, that's what we do. We make our way through the Bible about a chapter at a time, just in that space of wanting to see kind of a little bit wider perspective than just kind of getting stuck in a verse or a paragraph as we often do on Sunday mornings, which I love doing that. But sometimes it's just good to get this perspective. We want you to have it as well. So I hope you brought a Bible. If so, you've made your way there. If not, there's Bibles in front of you or use an electronic device that works, but we invite you to be in the Word with us. Same invitation in the overflow or online. Hey, this is a time to be in the Word of God. That's what we're after, what we're inviting you to be after. May God open up his word to each of us this evening that would give us understanding, but also help. Let's ask him for that. Let's ask him right now that he would give you and I just help in hearing what he would have for us this evening. Father, thank you for your word. You said that your word would be a light unto our path. God, it's a dark world. It's so marked with that everywhere around us, how much we need your light, how much we need your word to show us how to, how to live, how to navigate our lives. Would you help us to see it and to follow? Would you open up what you have for us and take your truth and weave it into our lives tonight personally, with reality, and with effectiveness? God, you're the only one that can do that, and I look to you for that. God, please work here and now. We ask it from you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Politics, persecution, prayer, Hey, you know, just punishment and and walking and all of these things, yet progress. Hey, I toss out some of those words, and I want to tell you right now, that's where we're going this evening. We find ourselves here in Acts chapter 12, and it's a pause. It's a snapshot into a moment of time, a space where we get to look at something that is happening in in the midst of the church, and it's a key space. It's a key space where we're watching some things shift, and it's going to be helpful in us understanding how God has been at work in the midst of our world and how that works. And yet, in the midst of this key snapshot, I'm hoping it's a snapshot that would work its way into your life as well. That God would, in His Word, help you to not only see what He was doing in the past, but in many ways, that same snapshot is in work in our world today, and sometimes it's just helpful. It's helpful to see it there and then to see it reflect what's happening in our world that would, again, maybe even help you as you try to navigate into this crazy world, and it's exactly what we want you to see as we kind of take a look at this quick snapshot that's found here in Acts chapter 12, and it begins, as I just began a moment ago, with politics. Politics, yeah, weird things happening in the midst of it. You might just notice it there in verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Herod. We ought to quickly pause there, and for some of you, you'll be well-versed in this and others. It's easy to get confused. You hear of Herod, and you might find yourself thinking, boy, this guy's been around for a while. You know, we've, we read him a number of spaces throughout Scripture, and you might try to think, hey, it's the same guy. It's not. It's a dynasty. It's a family that found themselves working their way into power uh, in the Jewish world. And I just want to tell you, as ugly as politics can be, this is at its ugliest. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you see our world. I don't know how you see politics, if you find it reasonable or if you find it to be absolutely you know, marked with debauchery and, and, and filthiness at times. It was so then as well, more so. Herod was an Edomite. Uh, He wasn't even a Jew, kind of married into it. He had worked his way into power through Rome, was declared to be a king uh, there in uh, just Judea in the midst of it, and it created an entire family dynasty. It really began with Herod the Great back in 37 BC, and yet his family would fragment in crazy ways. And I don't even know how clearly you can see everything on the screen there, if it's helpful or not. So Herod the Great, he's the one in Matthew chapter 2. He's the one that tries to to kill Jesus uh, as a baby. He has four wives, I'm sorry, five wives uh, that, that just kind of work in the midst of that. Antipor, uh, Alexander, Aristobius would be his sons. Herod Philip, who's mentioned in Mark 6, 
then uh, his, his other sons, Herod Archelaus, mentioned in Matthew 2, Herod Antipas, mentioned in Luke 13, then Herod Philip, uh, mentioned in Luke 3. And so you watch all of these different people, and so their family, they're related. They're in the Herod dynasty, different ones at times reigning over different areas. But under the, Estabulus has a number of kids. He has Herodias, who has a daughter named Salome. You might remember, she's the one that dances and ends up getting John the Baptist's head cut off uh, in the midst of it. Crazy kind of things in the midst of it. But Herodias is brother, Herod Agrippa I, that's where we are. We're in this man who is reigning from 41 to 44 AD. Uh, He will have a son who is going to be Herod Herod Agrippa II that Paul is going to stand before later uh, in the book of Acts. And so again, it kind of just gives you a quick little snapshot. And without just taking you through any of it, I mean, it's it's wicked. Uh, There are uh, intermarriages. There's the one where you know, John, you know, where uh, John the Baptist confronts uh, Herod for Herod's wife for, for taking, you know, Philip's wife to the first and marrying him. I mean, there's, there's murder, there's intrigue, there's brokenness. It's a broken world. And into that space, it has constantly been a mess for God's people. And it is now. So it's kind of just helpful to kind of gaze into this right now and understand in a very political world, trying to curry favor, trying to win approval, trying to work in the midst of this, Herod Agrippa stands. And he starts to move into this where he creates a space where the church it grows, finding itself facing persecution. Again, you see it there in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. So he just begins to persecute. He begins to find it to be something that is politically favorable for him uh, to stand against Christians and, and finds himself beginning to increase that pressure. And then it just tells it to us there in verse two. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James the Apostle. James, one of the 12 uh, that Jesus selected, James, John, Peter, hey, these three that hung out with Jesus uh, predominantly, this is that James. Uh, He is the first of the apostles, not mentioning Judas, who kind of killed himself, he's the first of the apostles that died, that that lay his life down uh, in the midst of this. He's not the first Christian to die. Uh, We know that Stephen had already laid down his life, and very likely there have been others as well not mentioned in scriptures. Nevertheless, he's the first apostle. He's the first of the 12 uh, to find themselves laying down his life. They don't replace him, which is just interesting by a quick note. Uh, when Judas you know, hung himself, they sought to replace him with Matthias. We talked about it back in Acts chapter 1. Very likely uh, they got it wrong, and it was really Paul. But either way, it was meant to be a replacement. But James was not. He's not replaced. There's only 12, uh, 12 of the original. We find himself even mentioned in the book of Revelation that there's just 12 that even into the future will find their names on the pillars of the new Jerusalem. And so we just watch that. And yet I want to just kind of say this in a way that I wish I could communicate it better. Boy, there's just a sober, weighty moment. James died. And in some ways, I'm always shocked with how briefly it just says it. It's like, they killed him with the sword. Very likely cut off his head is what church tradition tells us, that he was beheaded by the sword. And it just kind of just says it. And I find myself thinking, you know, how could you just say that? I mean, this is like James, the brother of John. I mean, he's dead. I mean, he just laid down his life. I mean, there's just something heavy in that moment. I mean, death is always that way. Death is always a surprise, even though we expect it. And yet somehow to have an apostle die, it's just one of those moments. It's like, okay, this is, this is a different world. I mean, this is, you know, for the last probably over 10 years, the church has been thriving and working since Jesus has died on the cross, and uh, it's been, a, a, you know, incredible things happening in the midst of it, and yet now we're going to begin to see those who were put in place to help establish the, the foundation of that, they're, they're going to begin to die. One by one, they're going to lay down their lives, and so there's this heavy kind of soberness that in one sense you ought to feel you ought to feel, and yet I don't want to make light of it and say, hey, it's a feeling that is not totally unlike feelings that sometimes you'll find yourself facing in this world when you begin to find 
death, when you begin to find, hey, your, your, your friends, your people that you know, and you begin to be like, they, they're, they're gone. I mean, something's happening. World's shifting. Things are changing. It's a heavy moment that you just begin to feel. It's a persecution that's beginning to grow there, still a problem in our world today, and yet it increases. It tells us in verse 3 that because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Politics. Pleasing people. I mean, again, you just got to feel it for a moment. Herod's like, hey, they like this. Hey, this brings up my approval rating. I'm going to do it more. I mean, it's, it's, it's driven by that. It's driven by people pleasing. It's driven by weights in the midst of that. They arrest Peter, and the intention is to kill him. That's the clear indication throughout the text that in one sense, Herod's like, okay, you like me killing Christians. I'll kill another one for you. You know, we, we, we killed James, you know, we, we'll, we'll kill Peter also. Like, that's a great idea. And so they arrest him, but they, it's not a good moment. It's not a good moment because it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That would only maybe create, uh, you know, further chaos. And so he decides to wait until after that. But Peter's put under heavy guard. I mean, you almost just got to imagine it for a moment that it just tells us there that they, you know, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. I mean, uh, this is like 16 soldiers who are, who are just put, say, hey, you're in charge of making sure this guy, I mean, this is like maximum security, you know, high level threat, you know, you know, you know, dangerous personality. I mean, he is put in the most intense moment of security and space. And yet again, there's just a heaviness. Now, I, I, I pause to try to just weigh this because here's part of our problem. For most of us, we know how this story is going to play out. For most of us, we're going to talk about here in Acts chapter 12, and you already know Peter's going to get out. They're not going to kill him. I mean, this is not going to be Peter's day. But see, that's part of the problem. You know something they didn't know. You know something that might be helpful but might miss the weight of this moment. I mean, it just had to be scary had to be a space where the world felt like it was shifting. Things were changing, and it wasn't going well. Darkness was growing. Evil was getting worse. People are dying. Believers are being killed. It had to feel utterly terrifying uh, to so many Christians, to so many people into that space, so many that were in that place, and that's where you almost want to feel this for a moment because it's helpful. It's helpful in this because maybe, for some of you, maybe not all of us, but for some of you, you're like, that feels like our world. Politics, wickedness, darkness, growing, getting worse. I mean, it just feels oppressive. It feels scary. It feels unknown. And that darkness at times can almost feel tangible and downright scary. I mean, I don't know about anybody else. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, oh, Jim, I'm good. Like, I just know Jesus wins in the end. I'm good. I'm fine. Great. I'm glad you're there. Others of you are like, man, it's just a little bit weird. I mean, the world feels weird. It just feels dark. It feels darker. And, and, and things that I didn't even think would happen are happening. You know, people are, that, that I couldn't even imagine they're happening are happening. And you can feel darkness. You can feel it oppressing. That's where they were and where we are in many ways. And yet all of that draws us to a key part for us this evening. There it's found in verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but, <laughs> and that's one of those great buts, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Hey, if there's one action verse that I want you to hone in on to, if you're going to take one verse home tonight, I certainly would pray it would be this one because I think in many ways it's where God would call us. That he's telling us, hey, this, that, that they're looking at this, they're looking at Peter being arrested and they are praying. Boy, they, they, it just it grips the church and they are constantly praying for him. Now, we ought to just talk about a couple of things and see if I can weave together a couple of thoughts that may or may not be helpful. Um, putting this verse where it's found here in this chapter is not telling us that they didn't pray for James. 
It's not telling us that had they prayed for James, that James could have escaped uh, his beheading. Uh, That would not be the weight of Scripture. Uh, There isn't a space here that's saying, hey, Peter gets prayed for, James didn't get prayed for, so James died. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, You know, we live in a broken world, and we sang that song a moment ago, whatever God ordains is right. And that's one of the most beautiful things to be able to come in and say, hey, prayer doesn't accomplish our will, it accomplishes God's. Prayer doesn't, you know, change what he's allowing in his sovereign plan to unfold. It, it, it is exactly submitting to that, and it would seem that it was God's sovereign space that he is allowing persecution, that James dies, because God's allowing that. I mean, he's allowing the enemy to have that moment, and there's no sense uh, that that was in any way missed. It does no sense that it's telling us that, you know, had they prayed that that might not have happened. That's not the point of the text. And that would really be, boy, a weight of condemnation that God would never uh, speak into our world. That said, the point of placing this verse here is going to tell us that Peter's going to get out and that is going to happen because they prayed. Um, that, it, that, you know, in God's perfect timing, in his sovereign will, You know, Peter's going to be released, and yet there's a weight that it wants us to feel that people's prayers were going to change that, that people praying was going to see God work in a way that would bring Peter out of that. And so it just invites you and I to understand how powerful prayer is, that there is this space of just saying, hey, this is good. Like, prayer's powerful. It's good. I mean, we think about the verse, right? You know, uh, there in James 5, where it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It does. It really does. And again, I just wish I could say that in a way that would just land it for you, because honestly, it's a little bit just confusing for some at times. Like, okay, God's sovereignty, uh, you know, our prayers, how does that whole thing work? James is going to die. Peter's not going to die. And yet prayer does work. And, and I want to just tell you, it does. You know, one of my favorite verses is there in James where he simply says, you do not have because you don't ask. Prayer works. And you could get yourself in a muddle uh, trying to figure out, so if I'm praying for something God doesn't want, doesn't work, but if I pray for something, I do it now. You can get yourself in a weird muddle. And if you've never been in that muddle, don't go there. That's fine. Not inviting you down that road. But for some of you, it's just, but I just want to tell you, it works. I want to tell you there's a space of saying, God, you know, when you say no and, and you're going to allow things to happen, you said no. We prayed. You know, we, we prayed, and if that's not what you have, that's fine. You know, we, we surrender not to our will, but your will be done. That's a good space. But one of the things that should not happen is to find yourself weakened from a place of praying. That would be exactly what the enemy would want to do right now, uh, that right now in our world, it would be exactly that. Sometimes it would be because, you know, some of these theological wrestlings, like how does that work? You know, how does God, hey, that sometimes when you go down those roads, instead of helping you pray, it makes it where you don't want to pray. I just want to tell you, don't, go to, don't believe that because take God at his word. Prayer works. But sometimes it's not just trying to figure this out. Sometimes it's just the moment that we're living in. And again, that's what I'm kind of pressing for a moment. It had to feel dark. It had to feel scary. James has died. Peter's arrested. Everything feels like it's falling apart. It would have been easy to just give up. Like, why even pry? Why even pry? You know, it just feels like darkness is winning. Enemy's winning. You know, why, why should I even, you know, pry? But they did. They, they, they looked on this and they said they prayed constantly. Constant prayer was made for Peter and God's going to work through that. And in one sense, he's just encouraging you and maybe I'm just encouraging you tonight. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happening in our world right now that has you just concerned and scared or what you're looking at. And there would be a space where you might find yourself thinking, why? <laughs> like, why should I even pray? James died. I mean, like, why? Peter's arrested. It's going badly. It doesn't feel like things are going well. But God is working, and he's inviting us not to give up. He's inviting us to say, in spite of this, but constant prayer is being made. Then instead of giving up, we should find ourselves stepping in and saying, God, I want to pray more. (laughs) I need to cry out more. It's a dark world. Where else am I going to go? 
You know, I'm not going to play politics. You know, I'm not going to, you know, that's not going to be the road that I want to trust in. I want but I want to pray. Boy, that's what they did. They did this, and constant prayer is made there, and God begins to work. Now, as God works, it's just a, such a great story. So I, I use outlines a lot, so I'm going to put a very rough outline up as I tell this. But I want to tell it a little bit more as a story. But I almost want to apologize, which is probably like the wrong thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I wish I was a really great storyteller. I don't know if you're a really great storyteller. If you are, you should tell this story sometime, because this is a great story. I mean, it's funny. It's humorous. It's wild. I want you to feel it with me for a moment. I just want you to try to imagine it for a moment. As best as I can, I want to tell the story, not just in some kind of cold way. I want you to feel just under the, 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 the things that are happening and watch how, as prayer is made for Peter, as they're praying, how God answers those prayers and works in a pretty incredible way. Well, it begins with an angel stepping into that to release Peter. So pausing again, going back to it, just feel it in verse 4. You know, they've arrested Peter. They've delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. You know, he's there in this kind of solitary confinement kind of thing. I mean, massive security all the way around him. Then in verse 6, And when Herod was about to bring him out. I mean, they've waited. Has it been days, weeks, months? I don't know. But it's, it's almost that last moment when it's just, I mean, probably like the next day. Herod's going to bring Peter out and execute him for all to see. That night, Peter was sleeping, bound between chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. There he is. I mean, here's Peter in this moment, and it's worth just kind of noting. I mean, he's got guards, you know, chained on each side of him. There's guards standing out in the door, and he is asleep. Uh, there's something there. I mean, there's something there that to be able to sleep in the midst of this is probably a sign of his trust, maybe a sign of his peace. I can't help but think of Jesus who, you know, when they get into the storm that's crossing the sea and, and, and Jesus is asleep in the, in, the, in the storm, the disciples are all panicking and they're like, wake him up. Like, don't you care? We're dying. Uh, it would seem that Peter's grown a little bit. Like in one sense, he's like, you know what? Soldiers, guards, you know, whatever. Gonna take a nap, you know. I mean, that's because I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can rest in the midst of a really difficult moment. So he is, he is conked out. I mean, he is sleeping in the midst of this so much so uh, that it tells us there in verse seven. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before him, and light shone into the prison. So you're just kind of imagining. I mean, if you get a good imagination, there it is. I mean, angel light exploding, and it's almost like you wait for a couple moments, and then Peter's still sleeping. It's just like, I mean, it's kind of like, it's like this light just exploded into the room. There's an angel, and it's just, but, but, but just Peter's, you know, he's still there. And so he struck Peter on the side and raised him up and said, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. So, I mean, again, you got to get to see this for a moment. And here's Peter's just out, and the angel's like, man, you missed the moment, man. You missed the explosion of light. Wake up, dude. He kind of smacks him, you know, on the side. And Peter's like, whoa, you what, what, you know. And he's like, get up. We're, we're going. And he's like, okay. And, and, the, and the chains just fall off. Change just fall off his hands. He's pretty, you know, amazed by that whole thing. And so the angel just tells him, hey, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. So get up, put your shoes on, tie. Okay. And he gets, gets himself ready, begins moving. And he did so. And he said, put on your garment. And he said, okay. And he does. And follow him. So they went out and followed him. And he did not know that which was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. So again, it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, Peter's like, and this is actually happening to him. He's like, man, this isn't real. Like, I'm going to wake up in a moment, and it's going to be a really weird dream. I mean, that's, I don't know. Like, this is maybe God's doing. I mean, we, we've done, you know. And so he didn't even realize it's total. I mean, it's so surreal in this moment that he doesn't even recognize it's actually happening. I mean, the chains are falling off. He's getting up. He's trying to follow this angel out, you know, into the whole deal. Verse 10 this is when they were past the first and the second guard post that came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Which again, just kind of fun to imagine. I mean, Peter's like, well, the gate's just open, you know. I mean, well, that's pretty cool. You know, long before kind of our automatic opening doors, you know, kind of like this is open. That's wow, that's cool. Someone should market that, you know. Um, and they went out and, and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to, to himself, 
He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people. So it's a great moment. Again, if you're just kind of catching it, just Peter, he finally recognized, oh, this isn't a dream. Oh, this, this is actually really happening. I, I mean, I like the way it says it. He just came to himself. I mean, it was one of those moments where it was like, you know, you finally catch up to what's happened. He's like, oh, wow, like, this is pretty cool. Like, I just, wow, okay, the angel just rescued me out of prison. I mean, I mean, just, you know, four squads of soldiers, you know, multiple gates kind of passing through. No problem for God. I mean, God is not in any way ever kind of, you know, kind of apprehended by those things. And so Peter's pretty excited. He recognizes right now that God has delivered. God has delivered him, has delivered him from the expectation, delivered him from being killed, delivered him from what Herod wanted, from what the people wanted. It's a pretty cool moment. And as Peter's kind of processing this whole thing through and thinking through, wow, I just, I mean, God just rescued me. This is really great, good news in the midst of that. And so it says when he considered it, verse 12, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So Peter's sitting there, and he's trying to figure out what to do. Like, where do I, where do I go? He's like, oh, there's, I'm going to go to our prayer meeting. That's what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm going to go to where people are praying. So he goes to Mary's house. Obviously, he knows her. She's the mother of John, who's going to appear by the end of the text. It's going to be John Mark, who's going to uh, travel with Paul and, uh, you, know, event, you know, kind of get, go back and forward. He'll eventually write the gospel of Mark that, that we have. I mean, he's going to play, you know, spaces into this place. But all of this is happening but it's just kind of an interesting thing to even just pause and think through. So Peter's trying to figure this out. He's out of prison, and he thinks, Where, what do I do now? And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And it would seem that he recognizes that, hey, prayers work this. Like, God's answered prayer, so I'm going to go where they're praying for me. I'm, I know where people gather together, and they pray for people. When things like this happen, that's where they gather I just find that at least a little bit encouraging or challenging. See, one of the things that I'm, again, going to hammer home if I can this evening is God's going to call us to be a people of prayer. I mean, that's our response. Like, we, we get to be a people that cry out to Him, that cry out to God for His work, that, you know, we're not going to give in to despair. We're not going to give in to just that feeling that the world is winning and we lose. We pray. So if God answered somebody's prayer, and they decided to go to somebody's house who was praying, would they ever think of your house? Wait, wait, was, was somebody like, oh, I, man, God has just done a really, who prayed for me? I know whose house I'm going to go over to. I would long that that would be us. I long that God would say, well, I, I would long that somebody like, I know. I know where they pray. I know people who are praying. Boy, I'm going to go over there. And where that's not true of you or me right now, may God make it true so that we'd be the kind of people of prayer that, Hey, when somebody's looking to it and believing, hey, they would go and, and say, I know where I'm going to go, so he does. So reading it again, verse 12, so what he considered, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So you're watching, right? Your brain back into kind of, kind of picturing it mode. It's a prayer meeting. A bunch of people are in this house praying, praying for Peter. Because constant prayer is being offered unto God for Peter, praying for God's work into this moment. And so Peter comes. Verse 13, and Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Okay, I find this absolutely hilarious. I mean, I just really wish I could tell this story great because I kind of have this like in my mind. I'm kind of like picturing Peter, you know, making his way up, up to Mary's house and he's, you know, kind of a little bit of secret agent, you know, kind of Mission Impossible maybe theme plan. He's kind of looking around like nobody's watching and he kind of sneaks along the wall, you know, makes his way up to the door all quiet like so nobody's looking. He's like, you know, does his best to kind of get her, maybe light tapping and nobody comes and just kind of embellishing a note a little bit. But this, he's trying to like, trying to get it. And finally, someone comes to the door, opens up maybe the little peephole, like, who's there? You know, and Peter's like, it's me. Like, I'm here. You know, like I'm out. She figures that. It's like, it's Peter. And, and she gets so excited. She runs to go tell everybody else. But I, again, I'm, I'm kind of hanging with Peter for a moment. He's like, where'd you go? 
Like, 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 I'm still standing out here, you know, like, I'm still, like, you know, so he's maybe, like, looking around for secret agents or someone to come and arrest him, and he's like, dude, you're, I'm still standing outside the door, you know, and he has this funny moment, I don't know how long it lasted, but I'm sure it felt like hours, you know, as he's kind of just standing there, like, doing that, so she runs in, tells everybody, announces that Peter's at the, at the front door at the gate, verse 15, but they said to her, but you are, you are beside yourself, but she kept insisting that it was so, and so they said it is his angel. So it's this crazy moment, and Peter's still outside like, is anybody there? You know, somebody let me in, and she's like, Peter's at the door, and they're like, you're crazy. Lord, please be with Peter, and you know, Lord, just really, you know, she's like, no, really, really pause right now, like, Peter's at the door, and like, he's not at the door, he's in prison, and we're just gonna go back to praying for Peter, and she's like, no, no, it's really, they're like, okay, maybe it's, it can't be, because he's in prison, four squads of soldiers, dude, you know, we, he's not gonna be there, maybe it's an angel, I mean, nobody believes it, and I'm finding myself thinking, how long does this take? I mean, they're having an argument, I think it's Peter, no, it's not Peter, no, it's really, really Peter, no, he's at the gate, no, he's not, it's an angel, I mean, just having a whole argument, and Peter's still out there, guys, like, I'm still standing at the door, you know, kind of trying to get in, you know, and nobody's there. And so he continues knocking, it says in verse 16. So he's, let me in. Like somebody open the door, you know. And they finally open the door. They see him, and they are absolutely blown away. I find that a tiny bit comforting. Why do I find that comforting? Because God's moving through their prayers. Uh, constant prayer is being offered to him. And when God answers their prayer, they're absolutely dumbfounded. I don't know if that's a little bit encouraging to anybody else, but that's encouraging to me because I'd love to say, boy, I have bold prayers. I'm just believing God to work and it's not going to surprise me at all if he comes through. It's like, no, I'd probably like, I've been, whoa, you really did. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, God just answered our prayers. I mean, he's out of, I mean, four squads of soldiers. I mean, they're, they're blown away that their prayers just got answered. But he motions to them with his hand to keep silent. I mean, everybody's talking at once now. Everybody's asking him questions. He's like, shh, shh, shh. there might be secret agents out there. I mean, like, shh. You know, nobody be looking in this whole thing. You guys got to be silent. And he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, hey, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So he tells them the whole story, tells them what happens, and he says, hey, go and tell James. Now, again, not to get confusing, because it's not the James that just died. Uh, that James gone. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who's going to find himself moving into more and more prominence. He writes later the epistle of James. We're going to find him in, later in the book of Acts. Uh, that he moves a little bit more into circles of representation and authority. So obviously he is that. So he says, hey, you need to go tell James what happened. Got to tell him what happened, and then he leaves. He departs uh, for another place. Now, it's probably worth just feeling for a moment that that's not an insignificant detail. Things are shifting. Things in Jerusalem have already been shifting. Persecution has happened back in Acts chapter 8. tells us that the church, the whole church in Jerusalem had been scattered because the persecution had begun, only really the apostles remained. It's really a small number of believers uh, holding, you know, just faithfully in Jerusalem, but that's diminishing. Um, Peter leaves. He is no longer going to be there in Jerusalem. He's now on the move. Probably much of the church is on the move. Jerusalem is about to fall. Um, it's 44 AD in that space. Rome's getting ready to press in within the next, you know, 25 years. Uh, they're done. Uh, it, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Israel's going to be destroyed. By that point in time, most of the Christians are gone uh, because of these things. They, they find themselves on the run, but things are shifting. For about the last 10 years, everything's been centered in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been the center. It's where Jesus died. It's where the church started, where everything's happening, but that's shifting. Uh, it's shifting so that we're going to watch it begin moving down the coast. It's going to end up becoming Antioch, uh, where it's going to be where Paul was, where he's already been, where Barnabas came and got him. Uh, for you guys who were with us last week, things are shifting. It's just a changing world, and that's part of the point. It's got to be part of the point that things are just not the same. I mean, it's just different. I mean, things are changing. Peter's leaving. Everybody's, you know, moving in the midst of this. Things are changing, and yet it's wanting us just to feel that weight. Well, with that, we need to flip the doors and, and go back and talk a little bit about politics but even the punishment that God brings into this moment. So you begin there in verse 18. 
as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become to Peter. I love God's understatement. I mean, like this, they're panicking. I mean, the soldiers are undone. I mean, this is, this is scary. It's terrifying. What in the world? How did this happen? When Herod searched for him and found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. It's not an uncommon punishment uh, for a soldier who would lose a prisoner. You're usually subject to what their, uh, you know, su- their sentence would have been. Herod does that, but there's a little bit more happening here. I mean, you almost just have to feel that Herod is checked by God. I mean, Herod's trying to show himself mighty and powerful. He's killed James. He's trying to do all this. And here in a moment, he finds out, hey, you know what? God just delivered Peter. And there ought to have been, there could have been, a humbling, a checking, a moving. It would seem that Herod is checked. So much so, he just, he leaves. He's like, fine, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave Judea. I'm going to go out to the coast. The coast is Caesarea. It's a beautiful place. Some of you have been there to Israel, and you've been to Caesarea with us. Herod did an amazing thing. Caesarea on the sea was a marvel of any possible thing. I mean, absolutely amazing space. It was opulent. It was beautiful. It was restful. He's like, I'm going to go rest. I'm going to go to my space. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this place. So he runs off, goes to Caesarea, and then it tells us. Now, verse 20, when Herod had been, had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, which is Lebanon above, uh, up there, but they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend. They asked for peace uh, because the country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and, and not of a man. So pause and just, it's, it's, it's important and you need to feel it. It's kind of a phony show that Herod is putting on. And I kind of say it's a phony god show because that was actually its full intention. So Herod puts on a thing here, and it says he, he arrays himself in his royal robes. Now, Josephus tells us that it was the kind of, it was a Jewish historian at this time, says it was not just his normal robes, but it was very opulent, um, even reflective. And there in Caesarea, uh, they have this beautiful theater that's out there, and so uh, it would have been a space that, you know, beautiful sunshine. And so Josephus tells us that Herod, you know, he puts himself up here where, the sun, where it's just the right time of day, where the sun is reflecting off of his you know, kind of garments, and he puts himself in such a place where his voice would resound and sound bigger than it is, and you almost just have to feel this moment that Herod is kind of wanting to play God. I mean, he's kind of like wanting to feel God-like. It was very common. It was very much what the, the whole point of this whole thing was, so his appearance, his words, he's trying to feel powerful at this moment. Uh, he's, you know, kind of responding a little bit to what just happened with Peter getting a race. He's like, I'm powerful. Like, look at me. I'm beautiful. I'm radiant. I'm, I'm, I'm glorious. And the people are responding. They're like the voice of a God, not of a man. But we got the insight. They don't actually mean it. Uh, they're actually trying to win curry favor because they need his, you know, benevolence. They need his, they need food. And so they're doing, they're, they're just, they're, they're kind of playing along into this phony show that again, if you were just to step into there not knowing, you would have just been like, wow, like this man. I mean, he's, he's a godlike man and everybody seems to be worshiping him, but he's not really, he's just playing a part and they're just playing a part. It's craziness. I'd love to say that, you know, boy, aren't we glad we don't have anything like that happening in our world, that nobody's kind of, you know, setting themselves up, you know, with godlike, you know, power or, or wanting people to see him that way, but it happens all the time. But here in this moment for, for Herod, it's a moment where God kind of just reaches that end with him, and it just tells us, you know, so the people are shouting, I'm sorry, again, verse 22, the voice of a God, not of a man, and immediately... The angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. This is crazy. I mean, it's just, I mean, again, it's just part of this wild story. In this. I mean, he is struck by God. I mean, here's this man who killed James, and God gave him time. I mean, God allowed him to do that, and he allowed him to, to do, you know, arrest Peter. But at this moment, it's, it's a place where God says, that's it. You're done. 
you know, not only have you, have you done all of these things, not only has all this rolled into this moment, but boy, you're taking, my, you're taking glory. You're wanting to be seen as a God. You are not a God. You know, and he said, it's as if he says, I'll show you you're not a God. I'll show you you're just a man. And he gets, you know, struck by worms. And it would seem to be that, you know, right from this moment, he kind of enters into a place where that just probably eats him up and, you know, physically and, and destructively and destroying his life. And it's just this moment where you just sit there and go, wow. I don't know how you see things in our world right now. I don't know how you see the darkness in our world. But I just want to tell you, it's not really question of if, it's just a question of when, uh, when God's going to judge the world, uh, when everybody who says they're getting away with things right now are going to face his judgment, whether they face it in this life or they stand before the great white throne judgment. I mean, what Herod faces in this moment is judgment. It is God's wrath. It is his judgment on him, and that's what's awaiting our world right now. I mean, that's what's happening in a world that is mocking God and shaking their fist at him and shaking their fist at his values and everything that's there. And yet you just look at this and say, wow, I mean, God, God is good. His timing is right. He'll deal with things at the right space, but he is doing that here. Now, all of that kind of leads to this next verse where it simply says, but, that's how it begins in verse 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. God's work is making progress. God's work is making progress. That God's word is growing. God's word is being multiplied into the midst of this. And by the way, it is a progress report. If you've been with us in the book of Acts, you might remember that there are seven of them. Seven spaces where God just pauses really fast and gives us an update on how it's going. And so the first one beginning back in Acts chapter 2. And so throughout the book of Acts, we have, have, have seven of them. This is the middle one. This is kind of the one, you know, number four, right in the midst of the whole thing where he just says, hey, here's how things are going. Here's how things are going with the church. And it's, and it's fascinating because it's so short, but so well said, but it's worth us just thinking it through. So God's word is growing. I mean, it is continuing to make an impact into the world. It, in fact, it's not just growing, it's multiplying. That's fun. And I want to tell you, that's what's been happening since Pentecost to this day. God's work is continuing unabated, but it's still interesting the way it said it. It didn't say, hey, the church was growing uh, and the church was getting to be multiplied, though there's truth in that moment. But I'm wanting you to kind of feel it's a different moment. Things be a changing. Ministry is moving, it's moving from Jerusalem. Uh, to Antioch. It's moving from centered in the apostles uh, to beginning to be moved later to Paul and moved throughout the world. It's just a different world. And in one sense, we're being invited to see that. Hey, it's not about a movement. It's not about a man. It's not about a group of people. It's about God. And his word is making progress. His word is making progress. That's a really, really good moment. In fact, that's kind of the final verse is it tells it to us this way. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So at the end of our last chapter, there had been a famine. The church there in Antioch had raised money. They'd sent it by Paul and Barnabas to take money up there to the church. They've done it. They've done it. And they're coming home. They left Jerusalem. It's done. That ministry is completed, which again is just an interesting way of saying it. John Mark joins them because, uh, again, Mary, John's mom, had been there in Jerusalem. He has now become a part of the team, but everything's shifting. But it's not a bad shift. It's not a bad shift just to look at this and say, hey, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing then. He knows what he's doing today. In 2023, it's still the same. I just want to tell you, hey, ministries come and fall People come and fall, churches grow, churches, I mean, but God's work is going on, and there's something absolutely joying in that whole reality of saying, hey, that's the world in that you and I live in. So we have this interesting snapshot here in Acts chapter 12. Politics, persecution, prayer, punishment, progress, maybe that's just a quick outline to think it through, but I wanted you to see, hey, this is a moment in time. Things be changing, it's working there in the church, all these things are true. It's true then, true now. Politics, 
oppression, persecution from our world, prayer, hey, punishment, progress. God is still working all of that into our world today. But if there is one space that would invite us into the right place, what would it be? Well, I want to come back to what I've already said. Hey, the one action space in this is that they continued praying. Because politics wasn't their doing. That's what the world was doing around them. They're just, they're just subject to it, just like you and I are. Persecution, oppression, the world working against us. Hey, that's not, we don't have to seek that. We don't need to cause that. It's just going to happen. Hey, when God wants to mete out his punishment, he can do that. And you know what? The progress of his word, he's doing that. But where do we land? I mean, where do we look at this and say, okay, if this is a snapshot of then and it should be a snapshot of now, then maybe what he's calling us to be is to be a people that are still praying. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't get discouraged. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to darkness. Don't give in to the space where you look at our world right now and just say, wow, it's bad. I think I'm just going to go hide in a corner until Jesus comes back, you know, <laughs> just like, you know, just, I think it, it just feels like it's done. I feel like we, we it's, it's, it's all falling apart around us. Things are going not well, and it feels hard, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see anything that's going to be in the midst of this. Hey, Jesus called us to pray. It's an interesting thing. When he was calling us to pray, he asked a question, uh, you know, about that. He says, when the Son of Man returns... You know, will he really find faith on the earth? And in the midst of that, he's talking about prayer. He's talking about persistent prayer and praying and, and those who would pray to the end. And he, and he kind of almost holds out like, hey, you know, when he comes back, is he going to find us in that space of like saying, hey, I'm, I've been praying. <laughs> I've, been, I've been praying for this. I've been praying, hey, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm praying both. I'm praying, hey, you bring this to close, and you, I want your will done, and, and we're, we're not giving up. We're going to keep praying. Hey, there's some bad things happening in our world, but we're still praying. Uh, we're praying for our world. We're praying for your church. We're praying for your people. I don't know. Maybe in all that I want to do, I just want to strengthen your hands in that this evening and say, you know what? I don't know where it is for you. I just want it to be me. I would love it would be if Peter, you know, found himself being delivered. And he thought, oh, I need to go talk to Jim. I, you know, I know he's been praying. I would love that to be the case. I don't know that it is the case. I want it to be. I want to be that kind of person that like, hey, I know you're praying. Boy, I, when, when I knew that God answered, when, God, when something happened, I knew that I would find you a place and a space where you're praying. Now, again, we're weak in the midst of all that. They were as well, so there's encouragement there, but nevertheless, it ought to be there. So that's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this picture of just saying, hey, as it was then, it is now. And, and maybe you're there. Maybe you're like, Jim, I'm doing it. I have not given up. But I think I'm talking to some of this evening that you are close, and maybe you've already have. You're like, I, I try to pray. It just feels so dark. It feels like things are just bad. Like things are dying. Things are changing. I don't like it. I don't like what's happening. I don't like where things are going. I just want to tell you, hey, we are, we are called to be a people that pray. And, and God moves in that. He does do that. So I just want to call you to that. So you can close your Bibles, notebooks, that which you have open. Let me just ask that God would strengthen that, strengthen our hands, our hearts in prayer. And we will close tonight worshiping him as a God who is doing that. You know, one last quick thought. And, and again, just saying this, God is working. He is absolutely working. And I suppose the only ones I haven't totally really addressed this evening is if you're here and you don't know Jesus. And I want to just simply say he is working. In the midst of this story, he still is. The word of God is still moving forward. God's truth, the gospel, is still speaking. And if that's you this evening, we're just saying, hey, we believe it. Our world is dark. We're not going to deny that. We're going to admit it to all those things, but we still believe God is working. He's still saving. And if that's you this evening, we're inviting you to surrender your life to Jesus Come talk to us afterwards. We'd love to be a part of that because God's word works. His word works, and may he be one that would save. Let's ask him for that right now. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this snapshot of Acts chapter 12. I appreciate it. I don't necessarily always like all of it. I'm sad. I'm sad to watch James just die. Sad to watch politics and the weirdness that's happening in there, the persecutions, the, the, the changes. And, and Lord, those are not always fun things. 
but I know this, you're on the throne. I know this, that you have promised to build your church, and Jesus, I know it's true that the word of God is still going forward. God, it was then, it is now, and I pray for that. I pray that the word of God would grow and multiply in this space, in our hearts. I pray that the word of God would grow and multiply in America, and the word of God would grow and multiply throughout the world. God, bring people to your truth, to you, to the hope and the light of the gospel, to your rescue. Thank you that you're doing that. Lord, in the midst of this chapter, we saw that space where you said, but constant prayer was being made. And I know that's what you want for us. Jesus, you spoke about it and called us to be those who persisted in prayer and didn't give up. And you asked, when you come, would you actually even find that? God, I hope so. I hope so in us. Lord, will you find us to be prayerless? Would you forgive us and strengthen us and make us a praying people? Lord, where our hands have become weak and our hearts have become despondent, would you encourage us? Would you draw us to you? God, we ask that. Would you draw those tonight that don't know you, the gospel just penetrating their lives, showing them who you are rescuing? Would you do that? We ask for that as we look to you right now, and we just want to come back and say it, even as we were singing uh, before we went into this message, Lord. We just want to pray for your will to be done. In fact, I, I, I just couched that in the phrase that you taught us to pray. God, we're praying for your kingdom to come. We know this isn't the way it ends. We know where this is going, and we are crying out for your kingdom to come. But we are also praying that your will would be done here on earth as it's going to be done in heaven, that you would bring that to pass, that you would work it in our lives, in our world, in these spaces. We cry out for you to reign, work in all the things that just concern us and weight us. Lord, we pray for your help in that. We look to you and just ask that you would strengthen us to be a praying people. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.